Cornerstone, how are you today? Staggered response. Didn't hear much over here. How are you today, two sections? There we go. All right, man, it's great to be back with you. Um, I spoke here uh, just a little over a year ago. It's been a while. Must have made somebody mad. Um, no, I, I am very excited to be with you guys and share this message with you. I, I wrestled a lot with what to, to talk with you about, and um, I landed on a series that we ended the year at COC down in the Copa last year. Now that's, that's how we roll down there. You know what I'm saying? It's the Church of Celebration, Maricopa. We have a super center now. So, um, listen. You know, the first service kind of took a while to get that one for him, too. Um, so we did a series at the end of the year last year called Biggest Butts of the Bible. That's great. Sweet. Sweet. No, 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 no. Don't leave. Don't leave. Just joking. Ah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> So, we looked at some Bible characters in this particular series that offered up a butt to God and then looked at his response to them. So, we're going to look at one of those characters today. His name's Moses, and, and with the help from some thoughts from Louis Giglio on his book, I Am Not, But I Know I Am, I want to share one of those stories. But the interesting thing that, that I found in that particular series was every response, every butt that was offered up to God, God had a response back. So before we even start, I think it's, interest, it's interesting and it's important for you to know as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what God thinks about your butts. The reality is, is God doesn't want to see your butts anymore. It's as simple as that. Now, get used to it. We're going to have a little bit of wordplay for a little while, okay? So get your junior high girl giggles out, okay? So he's <laughs> a button shirt. You know that? Okay. But in often times when God comes to us, asks us to do something or respond to him, we are so quick to show God our butt. I mean, think about this. Ready? I know I need to admit that I'm struggling with this particular sin. Very good. See, you guys are good at that. You need to hear this message today. But I'm afraid of what people might think of me. I know I need to share Christ with my coworker. You guys are getting louder. This is sad. Um, but they may label me. I may lose a friend. I know I need to put Jesus first in my finances. That was the loudest one yet. It's impressive. We'll remember that at offering time. Um, but I don't think I can afford to. I know I need to end that dating relationship. If I do, I may be single the rest of my life. I know that God wants me to fight for my marriage. The easiest thing seems to be to walk away right now. I know I need to do the experiencing God course. 
<laughs> Only half of you are signed up right now. Only half of you texted right there to get the book. But I don't think I can find the time to. See, for some reason, we always want God to see our butt. And we offer it up to him. But here's what you need to understand and you need to get. Every time that you show him your butt, this is what God sees. God sent Jesus to the earth for your butt. Jesus died on the cross for your butt. Jesus rose from the grave for your butt. And Jesus reigns over your butt. bow our heads and close and we'll pray and we'll be done. No. Um, nobody ever accomplished anything great for God by continually showing him their butt. So here, here's, here's the deal. Seriously. I want you to think about a big question, a big idea today as you hear this story. I want you to ask yourself, whatever your dilemma, your, your, your quandrum, your, 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 your problem, your stress, your trial, whatever you're going through, I want you to ask yourself right now, with the but that, that you're offering up to God as to why you can't change, I want you to ask yourself, is your but in the way of God moving in a big way? Because you're the only one that can stand in front of him. So with that being said, we'll move. Because I got a roll. I got 60 minutes worth of notes. And I did pretty good last service. And I, but I had to shorten it. And I shrunk the font to size 6. So it's good. We're, we shortened it. <laughs> there seems to be an ongoing battle in our lives between pride and humility. And what you need to understand is pride's basically promotes self-sufficiency and it demotes God-sufficiency. So today's message is about perspective. Today's big but in the Bible is, is a but that argues with God and then asks him for his, his name. And, and it's about perspective, understanding who God is. Louis Giglio writes in his book, I Am Not, But I Know I Am. He says, if you see your life as a one-act play and history is your story, you could be in for a rude awakening when the final curtain closes on your tiny tail, and you discover that this life was not all about you. The real story of life is God, the main character and the true star of all time and eternity. He's at the center stage in all of creation, and he wants you to know him by name. Because in knowing God, it means you're celebrating your smallness in light of his greatness. So a theme that you're going to hear throughout this message is simple. If you can begin to get yourself to a point of knowing who God is and knowing who you are not, it's what we're talking about today. It's what we're after today. It's about perspective. Because when we can fully grasp Whatever we're going through, failures, successes, trials, victories, whatever they are, if we can grasp the concept of who God is and who we are not, we can be at peace with the problem. We can be okay. We can realize God's still God. And it will be just fine. Got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3. If you want to cheat, it's on the screens. Oh, shh. 
pot shot. Sorry, that's mine. Ready? Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. Now, now just stop right here, guys, because you and I can understand something. We're in the desert. If you're ever hiking Camelback Mountain, South Mountain, whatever, and you see a bush that's on fire and it's not burning up, chances, good chances are it's God or you are very high at the moment. Okay, so, so when these supernatural moments happen, pay attention in the moment. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He, he got it in the moment. He realized this is God. The Lord then said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I am coming down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And here it is. Here it is. Our one and only but in the story. But Moses accentuates it because he stutters. He's but, 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 but. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? He's arguing, he's arguing. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you tell them. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord of your, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. A little history for you in case you are unaware. The nation of Israel has been in slavery for what many of them knew for a lifetime at this point in time. And the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And now it's time to rescue them. God wants to rescue them. Most likely Moses, some shepherd on the backside of the desert is not going to normally be the likely choice. And right here you should probably get from the beginning that God really, really likes to choose unorthodox people to accomplish his plan. He likes to choose ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And right out of the gate, God calls out Moses, Moses. And you know what's interesting is Moses does what many of us don't do when God comes to us. Moses stops and he listens and immediately God knows got my man somebody who listens 
Now, you can probably imagine what's going on in Moses' mind as God starts to unfold his plans to him. This is what I got laid out for you, bro. This is what's going to happen, okay, and this is what's going to go down. You got to believe in Scripture some kind of an analogy. You got to believe Moses is sitting here thinking, are, are you serious, God? Really? Really? Is this a joke? When God came to Moses and said, this is what I want you to do, Moses would be like, what? Uh, are you sure about that? See, because probably you've been in the same place. I have. I have. God came to me and said, I want you to mar- move to Maricopa. There has got to be a joke, God. Where in the world is this place? He said, look for the Dairy Queen in the desert. You will find it. (laughs) I thought God was crazy. So did my wife. She said, don't listen to the voice. Don't listen to the voice. Moses has got to be thinking, there's got to be somebody else. God, surely you don't think that I can pull this off. Who, me? Big thought, don't miss it. God said, go. He was basically saying this, which is the same thing he tells you and me when he tells you to go and do something. He's saying this to Moses. Moses, I'm going to do this with or without you. You can probably think about it right now, in your moment, in your life, the last time God came to you and said, you need to do this. But you maybe missed the second part. Hey, I'm going to do this with or without you. You're welcome to come along for the ride and make my name more famous if you'd like. Now, here's what I've also learned about God. If he really wants you to do it, he can make you do it. God makes you do something Willingly or unwillingly, and trust me because I've been on both sides, try the willingly path. It's much easier, okay? It's much, much easier. You, you might end up in somewhere other than Maricopa. Um, so immediately re- Moses responds with our one and only huge but of the story. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Right here, pay special attention to God's response to Moses' but. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you. That is, I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this very mountain. Right question, wrong format. Moses had the right to, to ask a question, who am I to do this ask? And then, and then all of a sudden God responds, Moses, who am I? Now Think about this for a minute. Think about this. Because God has got to be contemplating in this moment. He's got to be thinking. I know I can't find it in my scripture, but I, it's somewhere in there. He's got to be thinking, Moses, stop just for a minute. Take a look around you. Look at who you're talking to. Look at what you're talking to. A bush on fire. And it's not burning. And in that moment, Moses had it still all wrong. The identity in his question was wrong. The focus was on the wrong identity. He says, who, me? 
Because you've never done that, have you, when God's called you to do something? Me? Me, God? And God reminds him, in case you haven't gotten it, Moses, I think it's safe to assume you are now having a conversation with God. That's right, the one and only. Right now, you should be asking, OMG, what are you going to do, God? That's what you should be asking. And God said, I will be with you. And God says this to you. He says it to me. Anytime he comes and asks us to do something, he tells us, listen, I'm going to do this with or without you. And he tells you right here, I will be with you. And that translated in Pastor Josh language means shut your face right now. Stop arguing. That's all you need to know is that God is with you. That's all you need to know. See, as God invites you and I into a story, you would do yourself extremely well to never, ever, ever forget the fact that he will be with you every step of the way. It's a confidence. Now watch Moses' next phase of reactions. It actually blows my mind. He's still arguing. Moses says to God, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of the fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I, you got to get this in essence, folks. You got to understand because Moses is now communicating back to God with the request. He's like, if this is a for sure thing, God, I need some more information. I mean, listen, how will people know that we had this conversation? Because if I even dare go to the burning bush thingy, they're, I'm gone. They'd lost me. Because that's, I mean, that's a crazy request. Because we've never done that, have we? When God says, you need to do this, like, God, I need to know a few more specifics on how this is going to be done. And this is what Moses does. Now, it's kind of unusual because he's asking the God of all creation for his name. And Moses knows better, and I'll explain that in just a minute. He knows better, but it's worth noting that God was in no way obligated to answer. But without hesitation, he does, and he says, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Now Moses is thinking, what? Are you kidding me? That is your answer? That is what I'm supposed to tell people. I am. That is ridiculous because Moses knows this is not what we call God. Now just a little bit of, uh, of knowledge for you so, you so you can grab a hold of it and you understand why Moses was probably thinking this. Most Bible scholars agree that Yahweh, which means Jehovah, is God's proper name. And that all other names just simply refer the, descri the, the description and the character of God himself and his activity. The name Yahweh is actually used over 6,800 times in scripture and it's distinguished by the word Lord. With all caps. So anywhere you see in your Bible, L-O-R-D, with all caps, that is Yahweh. Three more times than the specific term Elohim. So originally, Yahweh was written with four consonants and no vowels. Y-H-W-H. -H. And it was kind of abbreviated. So when they would refer to God, they would say, Yahweh. That's it. Yahweh. 
You can try it later. Yeah, well, that's what they did because they had fear of, of irreverence and profaning the holiness of God. When they came upon it in their reading, they actually would refrain from pronouncing it out loud. The only time that it was ever allowed to be pronounced was the Day of Atonement. And when scribes would copy scripture, they'd take a, they'd stop, change their clothes, take a bath, put on new clothes, grab a new pen, write the word Yahweh, and then burn the pen and throw it away. This was a big deal. So Moses, knowing this about the name of Yahweh, has already recognized this is God who I'm talking to. We already know that because he didn't want to look at God in the passage. He knows who it is. He actually defies all characteristics of Jewish heritage, knowing that this must be God representing himself right here in a burning bush. He has the audacity to ask for his first name. Insanity. Seriously, God. And immediately God says, I am who I am. God knew it was imperative for Moses to know who he was. So, so breaking it down a little bit more for you, in the Hebrew word for I am, it's actually hayach. Hayach. If you do that too many times, something will come up. Hayach. The pronunciation that, that, that originates deep down. That's in the Hebrew. Hayach actually carries with it the idea of the very breath of God. And this is what God says, I am Hayah, Hayah. In the English, the name I am translates to the verb to be, or simply be, period. So God answers Moses. When Moses has the audacity to ask him for his name, he says, I am be. Period. B. Now, guys, see, some of you are like sitting here like that. You're missing the significance. You're sitting here thinking that is bad grammar. But I am telling you, this is powerful theology. Because in saying that he is to be, I am equals I be, it means that God is unchanging, constant, unending, always present, Always God. So in essence, God was telling Moses, I am the center of everything. I am running the entire show. I am the same every day forever. I am the owner of everything. Remind yourself that the next time you do offering. <laughs> that didn't go well. I am the Lord I am the creator, the sustainer of life. I am the savior. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible, immeasurable. Moses, I am God. And this is huge, people, because in this moment, God revealed his identity to Moses. And Moses, in the moment, finally realized I now know who God is. And if I can know who God is, then I now know who I am not. And in discovery of God's name, I am, Moses realized by process of elimination, I only have one name. I am not. 
I am not the center of everything. I am not in control. I am not the solution. I am not all powerful. I am not calling the shots. I am not the owner of everything. I am not the Lord. And if that's Moses' name, then guess what, folks? By process of elimination, everybody in here has been renamed today with I am not. That's your name. That's perspective of your real identity. Only when you can understand God's identity. Now check this out. This is amazing. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites... The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Guys, I know when we read these stories, they're cute, man. These are Bible stories. That's really cool, that David and Goliath thing, that Jonah and the whale thing. And we seem to disassociate ourselves from Scripture. We think that's really awesome. Happened a long time ago. Those are cute stories. But in this particular passage, you need to understand right here, the coolest thing about this verse is it puts you and I into this story. By the words, this is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation to generation to generation to the 21st century on January 8th, 2012 at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. That's still my name. That's what he's saying. And you and I are invited into this story. He tells us this was his name, it is his name, it will always be his name, and it helps you and I remember in the middle of our messes, whatever is going on, that God is big and we are not. This might be where somebody's like, okay, I'm tracking, but I'm not buying. I'm not smelling what you're smoking yet. So uh, you may be asking, how, how big really is God? Let me, let me just share with you a little something about how, God, how big God is. Light flies. Light is fast. Really fast. Traveling at 186,000 miles per second. How fast is that? In the time that it takes you to snap your fingers just once, a ray of light can circle the globe seven times. Like I said, light is quick. The warmth you feel on your face as you walk outside this morning is the light that left the surface of the sun eight minutes ago. And if you wanted to repeat that for yourself, that journey, 93 million mile journey and return to the sun, that trip would take you personally 17 years flying nonstop, 24 hours a day in our fastest jet. I don't know about you, but a beam of light covering 93 million miles in eight minutes is pretty hard for me to comprehend. Much less the team of astrophysicists that recently discovered what is believed to be the farthest object from Earth. A tiny galaxy that is 13 billion light years away. If you want to put the distance in perspective, consider that a light year, how far light travels in 365 days, is equal to 5.88 trillion miles. If that helps... The number again is 5.88000000000000. That's a lot of zeros. We can fathom an inch. We can fathom a yard. 
the meter and the mile. Most of us can get our heads around the fact that it's about 3,000 miles from one coast to the other coast in North America. We can also understand that a mile is four times around the track at a local high school, a football field. Therefore, L.A. to Atlanta is 12,000 laps. But how are we supposed to grasp the idea of something blazing through the universe at 186,000 miles a second, morning and night for an entire year, a light year? Let's bring it closer to home. You know, our galactic neighborhood, the Milky Way. Our cozy little corner of space, the Milky Way galaxy, is somewhere between 100,000 and 130,000 light years from one side to the other. All you have to do is zoom 186,000 miles per second if you want to get from one end of the neighborhood to the other. Our galaxy is home to hundreds of billions of stars, only one of which is our sun, our solar system, whose star is the sun, is located about 25,000 light years from the center of the Milky Way. And just as the planets in the solar system orbit the sun, so our sun and all of the hundreds of billions of other stars in the Milky Way orbit around its center. A galactic revolution that takes our sun 250 million Earth years to complete. And right now, somebody out there is like, where are you going with this? Hold on. We have no idea just how big the universe is, but it's so big that we have to use a ruler that's 5.88 trillion miles long to measure stuff. The ruler is called a light year. Basically meaning light flies. Yet the universe that so easily blows our minds and that was just explained is nothing more than a speck to God. Scripture tells us that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. In other words, God created the cosmos without lifting a finger. And he, when he created the heavens, he did it all without a how to make the universe kit. He was creating in the true sense of the word, speaking the world into existence out of absolutely nothing. Which means how big is God? He is timeless. He is ageless. He is changeless. He is always after an eternity of being God, he has shown no signs of wear and tear. He has no needs. His accounts are all in the black. He's the owner, not to mention the creator, of all of this world's wealth and treasure. He made the gold, the silver, and the trees that you and I print our paper money on. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that the cattle are all standing on. He holds the patent on the skies above, not to mention the earth, the seas, and their depths below, the breeze, the colors, and the sunset of every flowering thing. They are all his invention, his design, his idea. God is big. Seriously, Cornerstone, is that really all I'm going to get from you this morning on that? Can I get something out there? And 
And do you know what all of it, if you can just begin, I'm not even asking you to grasp it, to get it. I'm just saying catch a glimpse of it, of how big God is. And you know what that means? If we can begin to catch a glimpse, we can realize that God is and always will continually be bigger than your butt. And you know what? God is doing just fine. In the middle of whatever you're going through, when you're thinking there and the wrong identity is being on you, pride, and you've got, gotten a glimpse of God, you still think you're something. God is doing just fine. He has no dilemmas, no counselors, no shortages, no rivals, no fears, no worries. He's self-existent. Self-contained, self-perpetuated, self-powered, and self-aware. In other words, that means that he's God and he knows it. And you and I would do ourselves an amazing, amazing thing if we realized what our place is. We are nothing more than tiny specks in his existence and his story. And I know when I say that, somebody's lip may begin to quiver. My wife often tells me, you are so justice and very little grace when you preach. And you're sitting out there and you're like, but you just don't know what I'm going through right now. And I'm not belittling you. I don't know. No one came backstage and said, hey, Josh, so-and-so is going to be there. If you could come down hard on him, that'd be really good. I don't know, but I'm telling you I care, and because I care is why I'm telling you this today. You're sitting there, and, you, and you, 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 you've got the little tear that's coming. You're like, you're, you're really making me feel bad as you tell me how big God is and that I'm, I'm nothing more than a speck to him. You're making me feel really, really, really small, so let me be gracious. So and You can tell my wife later that I was. With all sincerity and compassion, the whole point here is not necessarily to make you feel small, but rather to help you realize and embrace the reality that you are small. Really, really small when it comes to God. But that's not the end of the story. Though we are nothing, in comparison to the magnificence of God, the unexplainable mystery of mysteries is that you and I are loved and we are the most prized possession of the God that we just explained. Yeah, come on now. God is pursuing you and me with relentless passion and patience. He's demonstrated his amazing love, his grace and mercy along the way through the cross at Calvary through his son, Jesus Christ. Because of that fact, guys, I'm telling you, because we matter to God, your self-worth should explode and it should help you and me recognize and be okay with these things, that God is big but I am not. 
And because I matter to God, the appearance of my life and the actions of my life and the circumstances of my life and whatever's going on, I'm not diminishing it. I'm not belittling it. I know there's pain. I know what's going on. But because you matter to God, if you would allow God's big butt to show up and provide you with the confidence in the ever-present unknown areas of your life, then you might be able to address whatever it is that faces you in front. You can say these words, I am not in control of whether I lose my house or not. But I know he still knows my name. I am not in control of whether or not my marriage falls apart, but I still know he pursues me with his love. I am not in control of what happens tomorrow when I go to work and whether or not I keep my job, but there's one thing that I know and I can rest assured is he still has purchased me and redeemed me. I am not in control of my addiction to alcohol, but I know I'm still Invited into his story. I am not completely understanding of why God moved me to Maricopa. <laughs> but I still know I am. That's the truth. Let me personalize it and I'll close. What's most amazing to me in all of my years of knowing Jesus Christ 35 years, gave my life to him when I was five. I've been in full-time vocational ministry for 18 years. The thing that most amazes me is the fact, but it's probably a delusion. It is a delusion. That I have come to believe on many occasions that I still have something to offer of value to God. And so many times in my spiritual journey, through good times, bad times, God has to humble me so often and, and, and usually approaches me with, with, with a, a spiritual two-by-four up the side of the head. He reminds me that he is faithful even when I am faithless. For you to believe a lie that God doesn't know what's going on in every detail of your life. You need to know that he will do whatever it takes to bring you to a place that you are completely, totally desperate for him. Willingly or unwillingly. To bring you to a full understanding of who he is I am, and who you are, I am not. I mean, if you sit back and you just let the message of truth soak in a little bit today, because it does it to me every time I have to preach this thing, I think it is absolutely ridiculously selfish of me to try and take control of things in my life and question God about his reasons and ways. It's time that we realize that God has never promised you pretty lives 
perfect circumstances or paved ways. If you are a follower of the way, God said, all who live godly will suffer persecution. If there's not persecution in your life, the only thing that God promises, if you can begin to catch the identity of who he truly is, the only thing that God promises, ready? He will be with you every step of the way. And guess what, folks? If you can grasp and hold on to your true identity, whatever you're going through, that's enough. That's enough for you to be peaceful knowing that he's with you. Only coming to terms with who God is and who you are not will allow you and me the ability to stop dwelling on what we can't do anymore and then begin to rejoice in the fact that God is counting you worthy to make him more famous through your trials. So let me close with this. Whatever it is that you're doing, Whatever it is that has you trapped, captured, in bondage, pride, alcohol, drugs, sex, money. I don't know. Whatever it is that has you bondaged. And God is sitting there knocking at your door, asking you to respond to him. I'm asking you one last time. Could it possibly be that your butt is what's standing in the way of God moving in a big way. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm asking, Lord, humbly, somebody here needed to hear what you wanted them to hear today. God, this is often the hardest time for me. I want to be so involved. I want to jump down and, and just grab somebody and, and create life change. But I realize, God, you're the only one that can change hearts. I don't know who it is. Somebody needed to hear it today. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would give them the courage today to move their butt out of the way and allow you to start moving. I'm praying that they caught a glimpse for the first time of who you are, and in doing so, they realized who they're not. Would you give somebody courage today to make a decision for you, God? I'm asking that you'd move in your precious and your holy 